The reading this morning is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is, has already been, and what will be, has been before, and God will call the past to account. This is God's word. Well, good morning. Let me lead us in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Lord of time. What a comfort that is. You tell us that your sovereignty, your lordship over time is so that we trust you, that we're not afraid of what happens in this world. And so, Father, would we give up the pretense of thinking we're in charge of life, that we can control the times and seasons and therefore trust you? We pray that for your glory and for our freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I read the news on uh, Wednesday that uh, uh, Boris Johnson was going to take back, take back direct control of the government's coronavirus response. And I understand what that sentence or the sentiment is trying to convey, but I couldn't help but think, wow, what a man to take back direct control of the government's response. Uh, I mean, does that mean he's going to be directly doing all the testing? Uh, directly allocating coming and visiting you with furlough payments if you're receiving them, uh, directly treating um, patients in hospital. He's in direct control of the government's response. And of course, he's, I don't know, well, I think it's meant to be a reassuring phrase, and it's not, I'm not making a political comment, because it's the sort of thing that gets said all the time. I stuck uh, the, that same phrase, di taking back direct control, into various other news outlets and uh, popped town halls, take back control of care homes. Okay, well, we'll see about that. Uh, my favorite was um, the Queen's response. Uh, a U.S. citizen 
had written to Buckingham Palace and asked the Queen that she take back control of the colonies um, because he thought the leadership of the US was lacking and would prefer the Queen to be in charge of the colonies. Uh, just one US citizen, don't shoot me. But uh, wonderfully, the palace wrote back, uh, essentially saying, uh, I'm afraid that isn't politically possible. Uh, I'm afraid that boat sailed a few hundred years ago. Uh, you may not like your uh, head of state, but um, I'm afraid it's a bit too late for that. Taking back control. Take back control of our borders. Take control. It's a sort of appealing phrase, isn't it? I guess in the 21st century, we, we're used to controlling all sorts of things, having control over our lives. We do have more control over the day-to-day -day interactions, the stuff that happens in our world than we used to. And even compared to 100 years ago, Spanish flu ripped through the, uh, the world. Well, now we have test and trace so we can contain it. We'll see. But we can't control life. We can't. And you can't control time. You can't. You don't determine when everything happens. If you're joining us, uh, we're working our way uh, for a few weeks through the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. It's a strange book in some ways, but highly contemporary is that the author of it, the, uh, the teacher he's described, he's pursuing meaning in this world. What's the point of what we're doing? So chapters 1 and 2 broadly have been an autobiography. He stops that here in chapter 3 and gives us a poem. It's a very beautiful poem about time. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot and so on. This beautiful, balanced poem. But the point of it is not Oh, if you're a wise person, you can discern what the time is. Oh, is it a time to, uh, to build up or is it a time to tear down? Well, I'm a wise person, so I'll know which way to go. It's not saying that. The point of it is, you're not in control. Don't make this poem in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes about you and whether you're a wise person. No, no. The point is about God. We get it in verse 11. He, God, has made everything beautiful in his time. He determines them. Verse 14 tells us what we're meant to do. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from him. God does it so that people will fear him. Not a craven fear, but a trusting fear him. We're given this little poem in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 to encourage us to give up the pretense that we're in control. Even today, you may think things will happen. Not everything will run as you expect. I've recorded here in church uh, this afternoon twice because the camera just gave up and I didn't realize. So we're doing it all over again because I am not in control of a camera, let alone life. So we'll look at the poem and then three implications that flow out of it, okay? That's what we'll do. Uh, the poem then really says there's a time for everything. 
verses 1 to 8. Good title for a book. There's a time for everything. Chapter 3 and verse 1. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And then, what do we have? 28 times. A time for this and a time for that. It begins with um, the extremes, I guess. A time to be born and a time to die. And then we get... uh, the sort of range of experiences that take place in human existence. Not that each and every one of us will experience each of the 28 things that get listed here, but these things happen. Let's work through it. Verse 2, there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. What are the risk of stating the obvious? You and I don't choose when we're born. That is outside of our sphere of influence when we enter this world. And apart from tragic suicides, we have no control over when we die either. Planting and uprooting, well, we don't control the seasons of the year. Farmers know for their wheat, they plant it in the autumn, they harvest it in the summer. They don't choose when it happens. Different plants have different harvesting and planting times, but you've got to run with how they work. You can't resist that. Verse 3, there's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. A time to kill? Well, yes, if your country's being invaded, your family's going to be slaughtered by the oncoming hordes. Yes, self-defense. A time to tear and build? Well, yeah, I guess so. The the number of cranes in London suggests that uh, all are going on at the same time most of the time. Verse 4, we get into emotions. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Again, we don't choose those. No one sits down and says, oh, yeah, well, next week, maybe on the 12th of June, I think I'll weep and I'll mourn. It's the circumstances of life that make it happen. This in the past week, the tragic death of Benjamin Omri, the ongoing distress of systemic racism. Yeah, there are things that will make you cry. But there are other seasons where you'll laugh and you'll dance. Verses 5 and 6, I think, go together. There's a time to scatter stones, a time to gather them, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep, a time to throw away. I think both, both verses are talking about the accumulation of stuff. So there's time to scatter precious stones, give away your stuff. There's a time to uh, accumulate and the embracing and refraining from embracing again. It's time to, uh, to invest in a pension pot or something. And there's time just to actually say stuff and give everything you've got away. Um, but you don't always determine when that happens. Verse 7, there's a time to tear and a time to mend. Uh, Not encouraging us to watch Repair Shop, sort of comfort TV that's on at the moment. We're back to emotions. Culturally, people would tear their clothes in times of grief. And in their sorrow, they would sit in silence. That's what's being described. The climax then in verse 8, there's a time to love and a time to hate. Hate? Yes, we've said already, good to hate injustice. And then on a national scale, there's a time for war, a time for peace. As many have recognized, it is a beautiful poem. But what are we meant to do with it? 
where we're told what to do in verses 9 to 15. You see how in the description of time, verses 1 to 8, it just describes circumstances, but God is absent. And then in 9 to 15, six times he'll appear and give an explanation, a purpose to time. So look, we're going to look at three little things, okay? You need to acknowledge God's rule, enjoy God's gift, and trust him with trembling, okay? Acknowledge God's rule, 9 to 11, enjoy God's gift, 12 to 13, and trust him with trembling. Let's work through them then. Here's what we're to do in response to his rule over the events of time. First, then, we acknowledge God's rule. First time, we're back to the question that begins the book in chapter 1, verse 3. It's slightly different in this translation, but it's actually identical in the Hebrew. Verse 9. What do workers gain from their toil? What's the point of this life? If, if we toil away in this life and then we die, what was all that about? The big question of Ecclesiastes. Verse 10, I've seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. What is that? It's this, verse 11. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Lovely. He's also set eternity in the human heart. That's nice. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Oh, that's frustrating. But working through those, everything is beautiful in its time. That is, it's fitting. God has allocated all the events of time just at the right moment. He chose when there'd be mourning, when there'd be laughter. And he did so in a perfect way, in a beautiful, fitting way. Lovely phrase, the second bit of 11. He, he has set eternity, excuse me, he has also set eternity in the human heart. Now, we know that deep down. All that's saying is we know there's more to life than the material world that we can see. In the wake of COVID-19, there have been, uh, of course, an increase in the number of funerals taking place, or certainly a condensed number of funerals taking place here in uh, central London. Uh, I was looking at some of the info about that. Strikingly, Humanist funerals have collapsed. Now, I need to be careful. It's not that those wanting a Christian funeral have gone through the roof and picked up the the market. Oh, that's a terrible word. Uh, picked up the volume of those who, who, who want a funeral. But it's striking because in a humanist funeral, you're, it's a religious view. So you're, you're, you're not allowed any Bible readings any prayer, any hymn, anything religious at all, it has to be absolutely without religion in a humanist funeral. And right now people are saying, you're joking. I need that. I want that. And so it's the funeral directors who allow the hymns and prayers. Well, that's where people have gone because eternity is set in our hearts and we want, when the death of a loved one, we need more than just that's it. Eternity is set in our hearts. The writer C.S. Lewis is often quoted on this. The sweetest thing in my life has been the longing to find the place where all the beauty comes from. 
this longing is the scent of a flower we've not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard. It's news from a country we have never visited. Yeah, there's something, isn't there? I, I see the beauty of this world, I, I, but I know it's just, it, they're just the hints, the shadows, it's pointing towards something more. So you and I, we know that, but we can't quite fathom it. It's as if we're, we're just too close up to life and we can't see what it is. We, we, we need the distance. Oh, I see. You know, like sometimes in a, in a quiz, they'll have um, sort of extreme close-ups. Uh, so here's one. You, know, you can zoom right in and you look at that and think, well, what is it? It's, um, well, there's a bit of metal, probably a spring, probably some wood. But what is it? Well, if you zoom out, oh, okay, it's a guitar. I couldn't see that before. I was too close. And, and you and I are like that. Eternity is said in our hearts, but we think, well, what is life about? We can't quite see. Only God is the one with the perspective to be able to tell us what's really going on. So God is in control of time. He's made everything beautiful in its time. So give up your pretense that you're in control. That's what the writer is saying. It's only a facade that you're in control anyway. No doubt there is a time to say with William Ernest Henry, I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. And there was something heroic about that. You know, he lost his leg and he's saying, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm not just going to wallow in despair. I'm going to make the most of my life. And there's something great about that. And yet, of course, he died age 53, not by his choice. He's not really the captain of his fate. He was not the master of his soul. He was never in control. And the teacher says, give up the pretense that you can control life. Actually, it'll just stress you out because you can't. So acknowledge God's rule, 9 to 11. Uh, enjoy God's gift, verses 12 to 13. Okay, I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Here's how we're meant to react to the fact that God is Lord over time and you and I are not. It's a bit like this. Uh, in the days when we used to fly in an airplane, or one or two still do, but uh, in those days, look for myself. Here's the scenario. I would get on the plane. And for a few hours, I would eat some food and watch some telly without any cares, without any anxieties. Just get on with it. Well, imagine this, a different scenario. I uh, have a little sleep, a little snooze on my plane. And somehow, in a strange world, uh, I wake up and I'm the only person on the plane. And the door to the cockpit is open. There's no one in there. And I wander in and, well, I can read one or two instruments and they say, well, you're flying at 25,000 feet and there's about half an hour's worth of fuel left. That's a different situation. That is, okay, it's a bit of a daft illustration, but that is a scenario where you're going to freak out. Now, in those two settings, the, the real one, the, the mad one, in neither of them am I in control. 
because I can't fly a plane. But in the first, I'm anxiety-free because there's a pilot. In the second, it's just me, and I would freak out. And what the writer is telling us is, we're not in control, but there is a pilot. You and I are not in control of life. God is the Lord of time. He's the pilot. And knowing that can get you through a whole lot of turbulence in this world. It makes all the difference in the world. It's a precious truth. As Jesus puts it in uh, Matthew chapter 10, in a slightly different picture, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. God cares about that level of detail in your life. Each and every hair is numbered. That is the level of control, detail. He has assigned the time when hairs fall out, fall out when hairs turn gray. So don't be afraid. The Lord God globally had set the date of the COVID-19 pandemic on his calendar. It couldn't begin in 2018. It cannot last a season longer than he's decided. Personally, the cradle and the deathbed follow God's timetable. You cannot live longer than God has prescribed nor die any sooner. Your dates are in his hands, and he cares. So as Jesus says, what do we do with this? Don't be afraid. Trust him. Acknowledge God's rule. Enjoy God's gift. Last thing to say, trust him. Trust him with trembling, verses 14 and 15. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever it is has already been and whatever will be has been before and God will call the past to account. Well, that's quite different from you and me. Verse 9, what we do doesn't last. Verse 14, what God does endures forever. So fear him. Verse 14, this drumbeat is there throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's where the book ends in chapter 12, verse 13. Fear him. Not a, I'm really scared, not a craven, a cowering fear, but a trust, recognizing his great power. I think when you look at the phrase in the whole Bible, you, you, I've always defined it as a reverent affection that issues in obedience. It's reverent. He is great. I am not. It's affection, and I love him for it. But it issues in obedience. I follow him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, according to Psalm 111, verse 10, according to Proverbs 1, verse 7. It's where wisdom begins, trusting that he has made everything beautiful in his time. Trust his time. You get to the pages of the New Testament, and the first words we hear Jesus say in Mark chapter 1, the time has come, the kingdom is near, 
Repent and believe the good news. I'm in charge of time and the time has come, he says. Time to put your faith in me. He goes to the cross and says, now my hour has come. Now I've decided is the time to pay for the sins, the crimes, the selfishness of people like you and me. 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes that Jesus will return to bring justice to this world. God will bring about this in his own time. He has set the seasons and the times. It's the same thing as chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, verse 15. God will call the past to account. Oh, it looks like the world just goes on and on. Whatever is, has already been. Whatever has been, will be done before. We had this before in chapter 1, verse 9. The world seems to rumble on and on. Chapter 3, verse 15, no. What a phrase. God will call the past to account. Every second of every place throughout history, God knows, God judges He'll bring everything to account. He'll bring justice for all the crimes done. But he'll do it in his time. The only rational response is trust him. Trust him. You and I, we've got to give up the pretense that we can control our lives, control the timing of events in our lives. And trust him, the one who cares so much. He knows when our hairs turn silver, when they drop to the ground. Trust him. Let me lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, you know many of us. We love to be in control of events. We like to think that we're in control of the details of our own lives. We freak out if things happen outside of our control. But Father, wisdom is knowing that we don't control this world. We can't control the events of this world, but you can and you are. Would we, would this truth enable us to fly through the turbulence of life, trusting you, not reducing us to passive passengers? but doing what we can to change this world, would we trust you and knowing that ultimately time is in your hands? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.